Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and we'll drown ourselves in beer. Again! I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are continuing our tromp through the Booker Longish list with Old God's Time by Sebastian Barry. And I'm starting with a beer. So uh, there's no satisfying noise, because I poured this from a keg. But it's from Finback and somebody else. I forget now who it is, but it's called Neural Circuitry. It's a double IPA because, you know, the old man who's the main character, there's something that seems to be wrong with his neural circuitry. And, yeah, uh, that's know. for sure. So, and goddamn, is that good? I It's cerebral. Cer- yeah, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Good good pick on the name there. Uh-huh. It's really good. A little bitterer than, than I'm used to from them, but I like it. Nice change of pace. After I finished the keg of Smooth Beats, I upgraded to this. I'm like, all right, now I could do some real damage. Two-yard neural circuitry. Oh, it's <laughs> it's bad. The DTs, man. So uh, Sebastian Barry is one of those like Booker, perennial Booker, uh, long-list guys. And I don't actually, I've never read anything. Always a bridesmaid. Yeah. I don't know, honestly, much about his biography. I just know that I've seen this name many times, and he has been... I believe this is the, his fifth nomination. He, he shortlisted twice. One was for A Long, Long Way, and the other one was called The Secret Scripture, two books I did not read. Uh, and he has written plays, I and mean, he's a pr- prodigious writer. He's got poetry and... Looks like a you know a dozen plays and another ten novels and the guy's really just pumping shit out. So this book, fucking bummer city, <laughs> uh, was the working title I think, and <laughs> it tells you know the main character, I already forgot his name, Tom Kettle, and uh, he is a retired. Which sounds like the name of Dublin. a borrower. <laughs> <laughs> we already did that book. Is that a book? He is a retired Dublin police officer. Or one of the, the Garda, as they call them. Which sounds like you're trying to speak Spanish, but you don't know anything. Uh, El Garda. Um, uh, and he, he is an old, retired dude. And now for, the book is in this stream of consciousness kind of thing. Which the first 40% of the book, I had no fucking idea what was happening. That's because nothing happens. That's probably Like being true. retired. When your whole family is dead. I kept Spoiler. reading. I mean, he's pretty upfront about like, that. There would be mentions of, so I, I read, I was like, you know, because these books are new. There's no good synopsis printed anywhere yet where you could just like Cliff's note it. Cliff's notes it. So like, fuck, I have to actually read this thing. I can't cheat. And so I read a couple of reviews and they're like, oh, Tom Kettle, a retired man who's a cop. And then a old case comes back to haunt him. And I was like, all right, I'm looking for that then, I guess. And any time he'd mention a thing about being a cop, I was like, is this the case? This must be the case, surely. No, most of the time it wasn't. Uh, it's really only about halfway through that you find out what the case is. Yeah, um, I, so I read like four or five chapters, and I knew that Jimmy had already read it. He had already finished it. And I almost texted you guys, like, Jimmy, does he just never find out what the case is? Is that the <laughs> joke? Like, I honestly, for a little while, thought that was going to be the book. That he just he just wanders through his reminiscences and never actually finds out. But turns out that was wrong. It just takes forever. Okay, so at the very beginning of the it's book... It's like talking to an old man. <laughs> just, just get to the point, Grandpa. So the very beginning, 
you meet Tom Kettle and he's just kind of like at home in his little, uh, his little like apartment thing. And there's a knock on his door. He's got a house and, on the, on the, in the cliffs in the, out in the countryside. That's just most of Ireland. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much everything else. If you're not in Could Dublin, anywhere. you are in the countryside. <laughs> Which is what my beer is about, actually. So I'm just going to drink it now. <laughs> um, I, I'm playing another game of uh, what do I have in my fridge that will work for this because it was too hot to go to the beer store today. Um, so he used to be in Dublin, and now he's not in Dublin, so he's living beyond the pale. <laughs> so this is a Sierra Nevada pale <laughs> You can't pale. get beyond the pale in, <laughs> in Ireland. They're everywhere. <laughs> my, my other uh, idea was they're all very pale, but then I remembered beyond the pale is actually an expression. Do you guys know, know what that expression comes from? Uh, ghosts. Beyond the pale is anything outside of Dublin, and it's because a, a pale is an old-timey word for a fence post. So anything outside the fence post of the British-controlled territory of Dublin was considered wild, uncivilized country. So anything beyond the pale was like people with bad manners. That's why you say, oh, she shit on the table during Thanksgiving? That's beyond the pale. Because that's what those, you know, Well, yeah, she shit on the table. The pale was a few feet before her. <laughs> it was beyond the pale. <laughs> she was aiming for she, the pale. She didn't have the distance. <laughs> but it went beyond. He, she's going for distance. She's going for speed. That's the song? I do, I yeah. On the cake? <laughs> she shit on that, too. You know, you know what I like most? Cake farts. <laughs> oh, cake farts. Yeah. Uh, it's a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. You've all had this. It's fine. Uh, it's a solid beer. Solid. Actually, it's liquid, but, you know. <laughs> anyway. You could freeze it. <laughs> then it would be a solid beer. In the winter, we could freeze it and skate on it. And then in the springtime, when it melts, we could drink it. Okay, so <laughs> I'm just thinking about shitting on the Thanksgiving dinner table now. That's what I think of cranberry sauce. Okay. And so he's out living his retirement life after being a cop for a long time. And no, he's been a cop for like six months, right? He's like, no, just no, he's no, been no. retired. Uh, he's been retired. Yeah. Yeah. He's been a cop okay, for yeah, a long yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, I, I spoke uh, dumbly. <laughs> That's beyond the pale. He's like at home and it's like the evening <laughs> and he gets a knock on the door and he's like, what the fuck? Because he like doesn't see people anymore. Because, spoiler, his whole family is dead. So he there's a knock on the door, and it's two detectives who maybe he used to know them, or more like they're very knew, young. And he knew one of the guys. The other guy he didn't know. So, because he's retired, he's old and retired, and these are like two young guys, and they're like, oh, hey, uh, Tom Kettle, uh, we, uh, we've come because the chief, I forget his name already, was like, hey. We- it's just the chief from Carmen San Diego, actually. Yeah, well, it's that old black lady. <laughs> like, listen, Gumshoes, <laughs> do you remember that show? It was yeah. her. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> she looked like our our high school gym teacher. She really fucking <laughs> sounded like her too. It was, it was really okay. weird. That's why I, in gym occasionally, like, what's the capital of Czechoslovakia? I'm like, it's not even a country anymore. I was like, well, it's only on reruns. And <laughs> <laughs> take another lap. Uh, so. Um, all right, back to the okay, <laughs> chapter one. Let's start over. Tom, he's at home. He gets a knock on the door, and it's two detectives. They're they're young, but they're like, hey, the chief asked us to come talk to you because we need help with this case. And Tom is like, oh, 
uh, okay, but on the inside, because the entire book is almost like his stream of consciousness just wandering around, on the inside, he's terrified because, and the way he says it in this part is that he's like, after 40 years of being a detective, he's seen the worst of humanity, just absolutely the worst things that humans can possibly do to each other, and he's like still kind of traumatized, and he's terrified of like what it is they brought him, but he acts w- with them. He's like, "Oh, hey, yeah, sure, come on in." And then they like talk to him for a while, and then he makes them dinner. He makes them of, a cheese sandwich, and he gets one guy gets crippling diarrhea. <laughs> it's called a Welsh rabbit, <laughs> even though it's actually cheese on toast. Yeah, what they were really going on and on about this Welsh rabbit? I was like, Man, this guy's putting up a nice spread. <laughs> I know. <He's, laughs> I did not realize it was not a. Full Apparently, rabbit. it was really supposed to be called Welsh Rarebit, and the joke was like, it's it's so rare there's no actual rabbit in the dish. I don't know why mm-hmm. British humor That's is funny. stupid. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but apparently, it's so bad that one of the detectives gets crippling diarrhea. It's the most beautiful it. prose I've ever seen written about diarrhea, I, I must say. I don't know. We, I feel like we've read some stuff recently that had some nice diarrhea passages. So they have this case for him. He's like, no, I don't really know about that one. I'll check it out. Because, you know, they're asking about this old-timey case that they Eddie had back in the days before forensics when, you know, usually you just blame whatever minority was nearby, but it's Ireland, so there aren't any. Um, uh, Protestants. Oh, Protestants, yeah. <laughs> uh, but someone, I, I don't remember if they say it, if, they t- if we learn what the case is right away, or it says, you know, just come no, down to the station. No, you absolutely and just, don't. In yeah. fact, no, he avoids... No even talking about it with them or like with us, the reader. Like, and the, he basically just kind of entertains them and makes them the Welsh rapid and then the diarrhea happens. And then they just kind of don't end up talking about it. But he's like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. I'll come in tomorrow, someday. I'll just go and I'll, I'll go work on it. But then, and that's him like avoiding it. And then they like sleep there because they're like, in the they're like you know just kind of talking and drinking into the night, even though Tom doesn't actually drink. And then he gets up the next morning, they're gone, and he's like, "Oh, okay." Except the way this book is written, you don't know what goddamn time, old goddamn time, anything is happening because he's just kind of lost in thought. His in the the entire book, and he's like thinking about this, and I'm going to go do that, and I'm terrified. I don't. I don't want to know what they ha- what they have for me. What's in this case? And this is where there's like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four of this, and he's kind of just reminiscing. And you still do not find out what the case what the case is. And he's like thinking about maybe I'll go in today. But then there's also he kind of has flashbacks where he's thinking about um, mainly about his family. First, there's June, how he meets his wife. And then they immediately like kind of hit it off and it's like, it's great. And he talks so much in the book about how much he loved her and stuff like that. But he's also having flashbacks to Malaya to when, and, and this, and the book is told in such this, of this out of order kind of thing. And then you, because then you like also find out that he grew up in an orphanage and that, Stuff happened to him there, but we'll talk more about that later. And then when he was like 16, they sent him to the army. And since this was like the late 1950s, early 1960s, he was sent to Malaya, where he was an expert sniper. 
but he was still like, you know, young. He's still like, you know, eight, in 1920. So he like fought in a war for, this is the British final occupation of Malaya, which is where the, uh, which is where House of Doors takes place, which is very fucking weird. It's a very weird, very weird coincidence. Yeah. This other book we're going to read also <laughs> takes place there. But anyway, and so, and so he just kind of... And it also sucks. <laughs> and he was talking about how, like, he was a, he was a really good marksman. And so, and he had f- over 50 notches on his rifle. Which means he killed a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. That's what that means. Uh, and so then he talks about, you know, then he goes back and he th- remembers more about his wife. And his, so he's, like, getting to know this woman. And they're, like, really into each other. And it's really great. But then she says, like, I have to tell you something. And this is where you find out what the book is really about. Because she says that she grew up in an orphanage. And when she was little, there was this one priest who... Thaddeus. Father Thaddeus. He grew up in an orphanage too, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, they both did. But there was a priest who horrifically molested her as a child. For years. When she was starting from when she was six, which is pretty like this is the part I was was reading this book and long stretches. I was just like reading words, but nothing was registering to me. It's like, that's okay. This is very beautiful. I don't know what he's saying. And then all of a sudden, like this came into like very clear contrast. (laughs) Oh, that's what that's what's going to happen the rest of this book now. Okay, Jesus fuck. (laughs) And, you know, like uh, speaking as a parent. This is the fucking most upsetting shit I've ever read. And it was horrible. It's horrible to read. So I need to have a beer. And <laughs> uh, there's a priest, uh, you know, Father, Father Thaddeus, which is uh, what people in Spain call daddies. And uh, Zaddy, oh, yeah. <laughs> but he's a fucking, you know, monster. He's not doing the Lord's work. It's more like he's doing satanic black magic. Oh, it's everywhere. Oh, God. It's so dry. It's so black. It's so girthy. This is, that, I mean, it doesn't really, the zoom camera doesn't really capture the motor oil-like color of that. This is from Root and Branch, and it is an imperial stout aged with coffee, coconut, and macadamia nuts. And I don't want to, like, I'm not getting involved in any things, but it, they didn't have it on tap at the tap room when I was there. And I was like, what's it like? And I was like, try, I'm always trying to angle for a free fucking sample. But I was like, how, how is it very sweet? Is it not? I'm playing like an idiot. And the, the person behind the bar is like, it's not nearly as sweet as anything you'll get at other half. I was like, oh, no, shots fired. And she's like, no, it's fine. They do their thing. But it is not that. I was like, you know what? I'm kind of ready for not that. I'm, I, you know, I still love those beers, but the heavily, heavily uh, saccharinated uh, pastry stouts, but this is uh, apparently a little lighter. Only light thing for the episode, by the way, because it's fucking dark and bleak for the rest of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is delicious. I've had many stouts from them. It is like velvet. Oh, my God. It's so good. I, I, if, it were, if we weren't about to talk about a horrible thing about child abuse and rape, I'd make comments about having like big black things in my mouth, but it doesn't feel right, which is the theme. <laughs> so I guess... I guess I won. I don't know. Can't, I don't think anyone can win this one. <laughs> no one wants to. It is really good. Like those flavors are so balanced. Oh my god, so delicious! And you could help us keep drinking these delicious things, and you know, systematically losing our toes. If you go to patreon.com/slash/drunkguysbookclub, 
You could support the podcast and help us buy beers. You, too, can help destroy our families. So head over there. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content. Join us for our live ones. Probably one of those is coming up kind of soon. Who knows? It was so good. Or will be. Both. And if you want to, uh, if that's not your thing, that's okay, too. Uh, you could help the podcast out by just telling someone to check it out. Hopefully someone who listens to podcasts. Like, don't tell, these would be terrible last words. But you tell someone, like, you should listen to this podcast if you like podcasts. And they'll probably still be your friend afterwards. Maybe not. Or leave us a review. No promises. I mean, it's probably something you did. It's, if, it's, <laughs> if, we, if we were like the straw that broke the camel's back, like, you did bad things to that camel. So, like, that's on you. But you could support the podcast in any of those ways, and we'd appreciate any or all of them. Back to this book. Speaking of bad things done to you. We promised we'd be good. <laughs> so you find out about uh, how his wife was molested by this priest for years. Um, and you find out his name, too. She says his name is Thaddeus. That's Father Thaddeus Matthews. And so while she's telling him this, he's also remembering... Wait, I saw things when I was in the orphanage. But it's only just like for a, a second. He only just mentions it kind of in passing. Didn't like, you know, uh, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when all like the child abuse Catholic church stuff really blew up. Wasn't there some statistic that said something like, I want to say 50% of Irish children, maybe it was 25%, but some enormous percentage of Irish children had been molested or abused. By the clergy? It was a, a silly high number. It was a, almost unbelievable. I mean, it, that's why I'm like, I say 50%, like, there's no way it's 50%. But 25% still feels ridiculously high. It sounds like, you know, the stats you hear on an infomercial. This was a very, I guess, part of things for this, the characters in this book, who were children in the 50s or 60s, where nobody said anything, they had no idea how common this experience was. And even in the 90s, when he's an older man, they kind of don't know yet. And it's been so repressed. But it's such a heavy, strongly Catholic country. It was almost a theocracy in everything but name. Yeah. So you eventually find out what the case is. And that, so he finally decides to get up the courage to, like, go into town and go into, um, to see the boss and the other guys and, and, like, uh, it's like they're like, okay, let's talk about what this case was. Do you remember way back in, you know, 20 years ago now, something like that, you were investigating this case of a of a priest who was murdered. And so there's a lot of weird things about this book, but is the, but the, so he finds out that, that you know, do you remember how this priest was murdered? As a father, a father Matthews, a father Thaddeus Matthews, do you remember anything about it? And a big thing of the book is that Thomas just, like, cannot remember things. He just kind of, like, doesn't remember shit because it's old, because he's old and stuff like that. At least that's the premise of the book. And he's like, oh, what? No, no, I don't remember. And then they go, oh, yeah, and that other priest that he was friends with, his name was Byrne, I think, he says, you were there. He says, you were part of it. And Tom is like, what? No, 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 couldn't be. Definitely not. And they have, they have blood evidence from the case, but they didn't have DNA back then. But now they do. And so they want him to like, hey, you know, it's, 
I know this guy's full of shit, but you know, it looks bad if we don't ask you. So can you just give us a blood sample? We test it again. They just like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll come by, give you guys a sample. It's all good. No problem. I understand. Right. They don't even make them do it on the spot there. I mean, I don't know how it works over there with court orders and warrants and shit like that, but like, just show up whenever you get a chance. All right. Well, there, right on what, one thing that struck me that was odd about this situation is that the, the boss and the, is like, oh, why don't you come in and help us with this case when in reality they're kind of investigating him? Because, like, did you maybe do it? Like, even though I see why they did it that way, why they would, why, but at the same time, it's like, if someone could even possi- possibly be a suspect, you don't bring them in. Tell them everything you know about the case, the full case file, and then say, hey, do you remember any of that? Like, that's not what you do. Well, it's also because this, the chief was this guy's, like, friend, was Tom's friend forever. And, like, they were equals until the guy got promoted and they became the chief. But they were not partners because, unlike everyone else in his family, Tom's partner was killed. Um but he knew this guy forever, and it's like old cop friends. It's like, hey, look, I know you didn't stab this priest, so like, just come in, give a blood sample, rule yourself out, just so we can get this shit done. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. I'll, yeah. So it's, you know, what's it called? Professional courtesy. I'm, super, I'm sure that's more um, a common thing. But also, he's like an old man. He must, I mean, is it just that his mind is wandering, or does he have like fucking visible dementia going on? It could also that be he that can't. he's playing dumb for the others. Knowing how the book Tom. ends. Tom's playing dumb. Yeah. Like, he's definitely, like, losing his mind a little bit. Or he's just, he's, he's, he's very thoughtful. At one point, when the cops come back, they interrupt him by knocking the door when he's about to hang himself. It's like, oh, whoops, yeah, he's get a best break at the door. Looking, he's literally looking for a spot to, uh, in his apartment where he can hang himself. And he, like, can't find one. And then there's a knock on the door, and it's the t- detective dudes. He's mm-hmm. like, oh. Better get to that later. just... Yeah, I'll, I'll, just go, I'll just put that away for, the, for now. But he's also, because he's so terrified about finding out what the case is, that he just doesn't want to know. Can't face the horrors of, that the horrible things that humans do to each other. And that's why he was thinking are, about it. There are, are ran, he has like random reminiscences of just like flashes in these stream of, streams of consciousness of terrible crimes like oh i remember that time they found that girl who was very pretty and her hands had been cut off we could never identify her but she had been raped and murdered and buried in a shallow grave that was rough back to my cheese sandwich and the time the bombs went off the car bombs oh, yeah. went off and that was really oof. yeah <laughs> it looked like did they blow up a butcher shop because there's just meat everywhere it's like oh that's fucking people who just got Blown to smithereens by IRA thugs. And this is after killing a few dozen people as a teenager in a war. So, well, he comes, he does mention he comes back from Malaya and he has what is clearly PTSD. And then, but it's like 1964. So, like, it's called being a homo or whatever, like, <laughs> whatever they said to him, like, being out being tough. But he's like, well, something about being home it went away, you know. Like I was comfortable again. I got the symptoms went away and whatever. But they they called it like basically pussy syndrome. <laughs> there was no, there was no sympathy for that at the time. So he's a fucking tr- damaged dude. He's seen shit. So it's not you know I don't know I don't know what to make of is he 
is he uh, playing dumb or is he like really his fucking brain is fucked up or both? I don't know if it matters so much either, honestly. But then more stuff has to happen. So you find out about his kids. So he kind of like talks, like, oh, he's kind of remembering about his daughter, Winnie, and his son, Joe. Joe. Uh, other kid from the Wonder Years. Uh. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so anyway, just kind of remembering <laughs> about them. And, and But at the same time, he, he'll like drop a little hint, like, oh, I'm so sorry about, you know, I'm so sad about blah, blah, blah. And then he has like... This whole sequence where he's talking to Winnie, and he, then he's like, "And where where are you living now? I can't remember." And she says, "Oh, Dad, you know I'm living in blah blah blah." He's like, "Oh yeah, that's right." And that's sort of still near the beginning. It's like, wait, wait, what? Hold on, it's important later. So uh, eventually, he gets he's sort of like he's find out about the case, and he's like thinking about it, and he gives the. DNA sample, and he's like, "Oh, that was fun." And then he just kind of rem- and he finally he's remembering. <laughs> well, he's he's they like, "Yeah, that was toothbrush." Well, he goes there and he's like, "Oh, and the and the forensics ladies, they were great. They were they were just so much fun." And so he like kind of like seeing them, but then he has another like memory, you know, because it's him, his mind wandering like the entire book, and he remembers um, the the case from back in the day, which is like twenty years before or thirty years before. No, probably like twenty. Is there was a thing about another priest, the one called Burn, and some pictures of children that he had, that where the old boss, the the, tw- the boss who was twenty years ago, a different guy, instead of investigating this priest, instead he, the the, bo- the the police chief just went to the head priest and says, "Hey, here are these pictures that have been disclosed to us. Why don't you take care of it?" And then the guy. Nothing oh, like we him. always do. Thanks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he remembers uh, that. Not this again. <laughs> and <laughs> then he remembers, I forget, it, the book is such a weird, I forget exactly how this happens, but there's a thing and and June is like, so he, there's a thing about this other priest named Byrne and, the, and Father Thaddeus Matthews and they're like, and something happens to them and and then June is like, we have to go follow them. Like, take me to where they are. Let me see, because uh, that's obviously the man. That well, because she doesn't. Her. He he tells the wife like they took they took us off that case. We're not doing that yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. And then they go to. I, I, I forget how, but I think she kind of talks him into it. Yeah, like, talks him into it. Away. It's like, we'll go on Sunday when I'm not working. We'll get in the car and we'll go find them. So he goes and finds them and then, like, follow them. He, like, they follow them. He, like, basically does, you know, does his detective skills and follows them. And they have no idea, at least as far as he can tell. And they go out to this. Unlike the children around them, those guys think they're untouchable. <laughs> no? I mean, they do. <sighs> So Tom and June, like, follow them, and they're out to this, like, very remote area, and they, like, follow them down, like, a trail. And then June, and then they fi- they meet up with them. They meet up, they meet up with Father Thaddeus, Father Thaddeus Matthews. And then June takes out a knife, a knife she had taken from home, a bread knife, and then stabs him, and then shoves him down the ravine, and this is the case that he's been investigating. This is literally it. Where, because uh, at the beginning, because you had find out earlier that oh yeah, Father Father Matthews, he was found, 
you know, broken and dead at the bottom of a ravine, but he had clearly been stabbed a bunch of times, so he didn't just fall. And then, I like in that in that passage, they're like, even in the sixties, we could tell he had also been stabbed. <laughs> That's how yeah. shitty forensics was. Like, pretty sure those are stabbing holes. <laughs> and when this is first presented in the book, uh. It's this is all reading this is almost a little bit like the, watching the sixth sense where you're like, oh, they are not talking in that scene. I see. Where it's kind of like because <laughs> they're they bring him in. Uh, you also can't. So they bring him in, they tell him about it, and like, and they said it was you there. He's like, no, no, I, I, I don't remember. No, no, that's not could possibly be. And then they find, you know, then later, much later in the book, I mean, we're like 25 percent through the book. He's like, oh yeah, no, what, June did it. June stabbed him. And then shoved him down the ravine. But at first, he's like, oh, what does the report... Were you, were you there? And he doesn't say no. He says, what does the report say? That was his line. It's like, oh, oh, okay, I get it. And then they, like, leave his body there. And then... But apparently, Byrne did see him. Cause, uh, but then they leave, and they go home. And then kind of nothing happens for a while. And then this case gets, you know, investigated by the other guy uh, this back in the 60s, but no conclusion is ever, is ever made and things like that. And so now Tom is like jumping back and forth between time in his mind, just like constantly, just like back and forth and back and forth. And then he remember, and then you find out, so it was his son. Uh, what's his son's name? Joe. Joe? It is Joe. Right? Wasn't Joe the son in the other book? Am I wrong about oh, that? Yeah, the English people and their neighbors have only a few names. Yeah, okay, there you go. So Joe, um, about how he oh they figure out you know when he's a teenager oh, that Joe he's Joe gay, and then he becomes a doctor and then he moves to America and then he he's a doctor on <laughs> is a, there a reservation. There's a part where, the, where clearly he's having he was remembering a conversation with the wife where she's like it's not a big deal that he's gay, and he's like it feels weird, and you know because it's whatever, you know, the 70s or something, or the 80s. And she's like, it's like, you know, it's not like David Bowie. <laughs> That's what she <laughs> says. He's not David Bowie gay. He's like, oh, so he's a top. I don't know what that is either. Uh, don't ask me questions. <laughs> I just realized I forgot my beer. I had a beer for a point, Go get for it. a specific point it. in this book. We'll wait. So June, she takes the bread knife and stabs the th- stabs the father, the father Thaddeus, and then dumps him down the ravine. And so, bread is made with yeast, like yep. this beer. <laughs> do you think after she stabs him with the knife, do you think she'd be called the Carver? <laughs> it is almost Halloween, so this is a pumpkin beer called the Carver. I think we've had this one. We, what? Have really? We? I don't by Barrier? That name. This is called the Carver no, by Barrier so. Brewing. Yeah, from Tism the trees. Oh, we did really remember that zombie thing. Yeah, I remember the book. Yeah, this is a pumpkin beer. Wow, it definitely tastes like cinnamon. Um, cinnamon and cloves. Pumpkin, allspice, nutmeg, cigarettes? cinnamon, and ginger. 6% alcohol. Ginger's cool and all, but I prefer that other broad from Gilligan's Island. What was her name? I can't remember her uh, name now. It's Posh. Betty. Ah, uh, the skipper. <laughs> which is actually... Scary. Skipper. skipper is one of Barbie's underage sisters, so that's creepy. Um, or it's a uh, words. Wow, this is not spicy as in uh, hot spicy, but it is just like all spices. And I it's, really? it's 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 okay for a pumpkin beer. 
I guess. There's really only so much you could do with a pumpkin beer. <laughs> there are very few that is. stand out. This is a trend that really doesn't have to continue. I think they need to just f- not do the pumpkin pie spices, but then the pumpkin or the flavors probably. But the I don't I don't know what a pumpkin fucking tastes like, and I've had probably a hundred pumpkin beers now. Because all you get is cinnamon and vanilla usually, and, uh, and they just nutmeg. Give you but like, what does a pumpkin taste? Because like, I, I, the, the only cough, the only pumpkin beer that I can remember is distinct is from when it was before even Jimmy was on the podcast when we did the Sleepy Hollow, and one of them had coffee. That was, was yeah, like, that was different. <laughs> that was good. I still remember that being good. Not that I can recall that flavor exactly. It's Coney Island's uh, pumpkin beer, but pumpkin flavor is kind of it's like vague. Like, Who's going to sip it? I'm like, oh, hints of gourd. Like, no one fucking... Is pump, you're not tasting the pumpkin. The pumpkin itself doesn't have a very strong flavor. Right. So really, that's why they feel like brewers just dump in all pumpkin pie flavors, because they're like, nobody knows what the pumpkin part tastes like. They just know pumpkin pie. Yeah. It should be called pumpkin spice beer, but they don't want to call it that. Well, no, that'd be too basic. Yes. Much like <laughs> the murders <laughs> that happen in this book... All right, Gason uh, goes to live in on a Arizona American or New Mexico, reservation. basically. Come a like reservation doctor. Point. Um, after so Tom like goes home, and then the neighbor. No, he goes to talk to the neighbor because he thinks. Oh, it's the, early. Yeah. He, he thinks that he thinks the little boy who lives on the downstairs like apartment has like jumped in the ocean, and then he's like, "Because he is seeing, ma'am, things. is your because he definitely seeing things." He's like, "Ma'am, is your is your son?" Is he here? Is he at home? It looked like a kid just drowned your kid. And she's like, I'm pretty sure he's in bed. Like, he's fucking yeah. hallucinating. It's and then it's, and, it's and then she up. goes and then she says, like, oh no, he's here. I just put him to bed. He's fine. He's like, okay. But he must have known that he was hallucinating because he didn't go, oh, my God, it's a different little boy. Let me check the next apartment. Because if he really thought a boy was drowning, he would have done something more than just, okay, now me, now let me listen to your story. Because that's what he does. Instead, <laughs> the, the woman is like, oh, you're the policeman, ex-policeman. Oh, yes. Let me, but let, I, have, I have to, I wanted to speak to you. Because you see, my husband, or my husband is, I'm, I'm afraid of my husband. He's away, he's, he's not here, I left him because he molested my daughter. And she, she And she died. And he denied all of it. And it was fucked up that he was, they were like, I don't know why, her ass was bleeding. Like, fucking That's what Jesus it was, Christ. like she kept taking, to, taking him to the doc, taking the girl to the doctors, like her ass keeps bleeding. And like, it's probably, and the husband's like, it must be colitis. I WebMD'd then. That's probably what it is. Yeah. And then the doctor, and then the wife is like, this, you know, heart, terrible passage where she's like, the doctor was like, I don't know what it is, but I think you should call Child Protective Services. She's like, why would you tell me that? Like, my kid has a health problem. Like, just the denial, which is probably the case for a lot of people in these horrible situations. That it's you like, usually that not your first go to answer as a person who's probably you, know, you, you never you would never out of nowhere suspect your partner of doing that yeah you need to really compelling evidence right you because that's such a taboo terrible thing you're like that can't be it it must be something more reasonable you know how could they hide this terrible thing of themselves or their activities or whatever 
But no, that child dies of abuse. And then the coroner's like, yep, that was definitely in a severely abused child. And then you're like, this is great. And the woman says, so then alive. once I realized my husband had done that, but he denied all of it. I left in the middle of the night with our son, our like six-year-old son, and he's here with me now. But I'm afraid of my husband finding us and what he'll do. And Tom is like, well, I have a bunch of guns. It's like America. No, that's not what he says, but. That's well, what I was yeah, thinking. Not, he's like, he a... has all the guns. Oh, because he's a average American. <laughs> he says, I have two guns. They're 30 years old, but I keep them well-oiled. That's how you know it's not America. He's like, no, I have 30 guns. They're two years old. <laughs> but he did, did uh, again, I don't know shit about Ireland's laws, but he's like, oh, yeah, there's really nothing they could do about that. Because you know, unless you get the equivalent, whatever, I forget what they called it, but a restraining, it was clearly a restraining order. You can't get a restraining order until he does something. Right. Which is a problem we have here sometimes as well. You have to really get close to actually doing something serious before they'll take it. You can't be like, this guy's creeping me out. Like, oh, he hasn't done anything. You know, let us know it's when he does tough, something. It's a difficult thing. Like, Catch I, 22. I, I'm not that, I don't want to say I could see both sides. I'm not trying to say that. But like, there, there has to be some respect for the... Like, if someone has not broken any laws, then why should they be penalized or... You know what I mean? Like, there's no easy solution in these terrible situations. But I bet 30 years ago, it was shittier. <laughs> that's yeah, that's probably like a mantra you could use for most things. I bet a generation ago, whatever it was, it was not. It was it was a worse thing. But he's like, don't worry, I'm an old man. I just sit by the window all day. I'll shoot him. It's pretty much what he says. Yeah. She's like, oh, thank God. I was hoping you say that. That's fucking. That's a huge relief. Jesus, as they say about 400 times in the book. It's apparently... I was trying to figure out how... Guys, I can't do any accents. Jesus. But, that, but it's not, when I say that, I feel like I'm trying to... I'm like pretending to be like a snake wrangling Southern Baptist or something. But that's also how the Irish talk. And they, do, they don't sound like that. So I don't really know. Um, but it, it can. But it does. It can. Yeah, I don't know. It's close enough to spell it phonetically like that. I think if you have enough potatoes, you could probably get it out. Or not enough potatoes. Mm, that will have you crying for the for sweet baby Jesus. So as and as then, the book um, goes on, you know Tom keeps you know offhandedly mentioning that you know he's on his own now and his kids are gone and you know by that he means they're they're dead. Wife is gone. Everybody's gone. He's alone. You know the wife is dead and you know the kids are. You kind of guess the kids are dead, but you don't really understand how any of this happened yet. And you're like, I'm sure it's a happy story. Don't worry me. <laughs> <laughs> And then you find out it's not actually a happy story. And it's really surprising. Yeah, I was really thought there was a bait and switch with all that child molesting. Yeah, I yeah, thought this was going to go you, on the upswing. It, it can't be all downers, right? There's, there's got to be some uptick here. Um, but there isn't. It's all downers. Um, so he remembers, you know, is, it, nothing really happens. It's not, you can't be like, and then this happens because it didn't happen then. He's just thinking about shit randomly. And by the end of the book, he's like, now I'm going to remember how all of my family died. And you talk about how after his wife murdered the priest, she felt pretty good for a while. And then one day she uh, set herself on fire in in a park in Dublin. I was like, oh, that's... She went to a gas station, bought gasoline, went to a park, dumped it over herself and lit a match. Like... Monk style. Like a Buddhist monk. Sweet G. Another... The Vietnam's over, woman. 
Is it? I don't know when this took place. I don't know. Well, the kids were the kids were born in like a bit older, so yeah. so it's probably it, it probably was oh, uh, that. But probably I mean, like the eighties by then. I don't remember. Was she in front of one of the churches or something, or was it just like in the big park where everything is? I don't remember. But it was definitely like a spectacle way to go, and then you know, no one really looks into oh, why because they're too busy praying for her. Yeah. <laughs> And because when they, you know, found all the child porn on that guy's stuff, you know, they went to the bishop and he's like, oh, we'll take care of it. And then, of course, nothing gets done. They just move him or something like that, which is why some of the younger cops are like, you know, I don't understand what happened back then. And it's like, we tried, but it was a different time. And it's not that different from now. Uh, but, yeah, it's still an issue. So she sets herself on fire. And then, uh, of course, because of that, uh, the daughter who is in college, uh, she's going to be a lawyer, instead becomes a full-time heroin addict and goes to rehab, but then she ODs and she dies. She dies leaning over on a radiator, which melts her partially to the radiator. Probably not a necessary detail. You'd think so. Losing your child to drug addiction is pretty devastating. You'd think that you wouldn't need it, but it happens. And then... You figure out how the son dies, which was he's trying to do doctor work out on the res somewhere, and he sends some kid who has some sort of medical issue to the hospital uh, where he dies anyway, I think. Does that yeah. He dies, and then the, guy's, the, son, the kid's dad then kills the son because he said, like, you took him... Away from, you know, our our place here. And he sent him away to die away from our practices. He feels bad right away afterwards. Everyone does. Because they all liked Joe. But he, uh, he shoots him in the head. And then Tom has to go pick up his body. Which is a long way away from Podunk, Ireland. To go to Podunk, New Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> no direct flights there. Um so after that, you know, relentless onslaught of depression, uh, it then jumps back to the current time, where who shows up but the shitty child-raping ex-husband? Really current husband, because they're not divorced, because that's Strange. still illegal in Ireland? In the 90s? Possibly. I, yeah, I feel like that was only in the 2000s. Yeah. But then Divorce was that, actually still illegal. Great, great, great times. Um, he comes, but, you know, and then he, he grabs, he, he like... He takes the kid, the woman's kid, and he grabs her and runs away and she's in the car and he like knocks the lady out and Tom runs down to help her and he picks her up and she's okay and he tries to go after the guy, but the guy gets in a fucking boat for some reason. I don't know why he thought that was the best course of action. He's a Bond villain. Kind of. It's like a fucking rowboat though. Uh, so he's taking the kid out there on the boat and is like, he's going to take this kid away and just do some bad stuff to him. So Tom does his sniper skills, and he's like, well, I really hate to fuck this kid up forever by shooting his dad in front of him and then making him sit with the dead body out in a boat for a long time while they go recover it. But, you know, I'm gonna. So he does. And you're like, wow, I'm gonna kill myself. It's better than him letting the dad reap the son to death, which is like, you know, he's done it before. Yeah, it's, it's really gonna be fucked up either way. So he kills the guy... And then he just walks into the ocean and drowns himself. 
and then the book ends, and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to go watch My Little Pony for like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Just cleanse. I've watched My Little Pony and many things like that. They're not, they're a different bad. <laughs> they're not, they're, they're soul crushing in a very different way, but equally as effective. Yeah. I feel like a lot of pedophiles watch it too, so maybe My Little Pony is a bad choice. I mean, they probably do, but like, I've watched it with my child, and it, like she doesn't understand. Like she's not paying attention to the plot. I'm like, because I've tried to ask questions and try to like the the, the parent. Like, what do you think? Why do you how do you think that character feels? But then it makes me have to say st- sentences like, "Why do you think he wants to win the glitter cupcake competition?" And then she's like, "Because there's cupcakes." I'm like, "You know what? Fucking that. Yeah, whatever." It's because he's a narcissist. Like, <laughs> you're right. Because he won't rest until they all have diabetes. <laughs> I was on a plane last week, and there was a little girl. She was asking her dad questions. She's like, what's that for? It's like, oh, you know, all these questions like for a while. And she says, what's that thing up there? It's like, well, that's where the masks come out if we need them. And she's like, why would we need them? And he just sat silently and <laughs> didn't say anything at all until she asked another question. And then they moved on. I was like, wow, that's an interesting technique, dude. <laughs> It's like uh, the, the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. <laughs> her, her questions are based on movement. <laughs> Where'd he go? Oh, well. <laughs> I, I remember when I was born, I was like, I think, thinking I was, you know, I'm not going to be one of those parents that just says bullshit to your kid. The bullshit that flows out of my mouth is so odious. <laughs> Like, we're like, I, can't, I don't know how to answer this question for you. I'm just, because elves. I don't know. Like, you just, like, I can't. Why do, is do you that? Think that's why, why religion really took off? Because people are just like, oh, be, because God God said so. There, there you God go. <laughs> it's like uh, years ago, like Kevin, Kevin Brennan, comedian, had a thing. Like, you know, the fucked up things that parents are like, why did they, Dad, why did they kill Bobby Kennedy? Uh, cause you didn't make your bed this morning, son. <laughs> That's why they did it. <laughs> what? Oh, no. <laughs> That's why you always leave a note. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, uh, what do you think of this book? I liked it, actually. I mean, it was violently depressing and it was confusing at first. Once you get kind of the hang of it, it kind of, it clicks together by the end of it. And you still feel really, really bad at the end and for a while afterwards. But I actually thought it was very good. Yeah. It was beautifully written. The most beautiful diarrhea words for certain of any book. The rest of the word pretty good too. So I really didn't like reading it. I'm more like at first. Okay. Why? At first, it just nothing happens. And then that's the first problem. And then the second problem with then it becomes unbelievably Sad and <laughs> traumatic. I hated this and, all uh, different kinds of ways. <laughs> and it's not badly written, although there is one thing about it that the way it's written that annoyed me. It's not that it was just like a stream of consciousness. It's that the prem- the way the plot progresses is at first you don't know what's going on, and then later he just decides to remember the important thing in the plot. Like, at first he doesn't remember, and then later he remembers. I still feel like he he's just telling them he doesn't remember so he can get he doesn't have to deal with it. 
but like we, yeah, we I think know a part of that knows. is too is true. Like obviously, he's not just the 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 author Sebastian Barry isn't just going to say all that stuff in the first two chapters and then nothing for the end. So I realize if you're going to write a book, you got to do it that way. But however, it's just this kind of plot thing where the character main character knows all this stuff he just doesn't remember quote unquote remember or tell you or until much later i just don't like that because it's like you don't remember that time your wife knifed a guy and shoved his body down a ravine like you're just gonna forget that like doesn't stand out for you like Come on. It's just, that's the, that's the way the plot progresses. And it just bugs me. Maybe it's just me. And that's fine. If you liked it, great, awesome. But it, for me, that bugs me. Didn't like it. I think that he remembers, but we don't know that he remembers. He's just an unreliable narrator yeah. who kind of pretends he doesn't remember. Yeah, but I think that... Yes, that like, it is a familiar lie to your own memory. Well, I, mean, I, no, I think he, like, I think he's. Like, I don't remember. He's not lying. Like it's in he's, your head. I don't think he's lying to us. I think he's lying to the cops because he knows who killed the guy. He was there, and he was part of it. But I, but I think but like, this, this, this plot device is his... where he has where like something's happening, and simultaneously they're doing flashbacks in order. All the stories work that way, and it is a little frustrating because like the characters know the character knows what it is. But you get it's like two concurrent timelines, but it's like you don't get what's happening in the first one until the second one finishes, and they a lot of them have that, and it is kind of just like uh, okay, yeah, I, I get it, but you know, are you saying it's a little gimmicky? It's not so much a gimmick as it is just like a storytelling device that kind of gets old after a while. It's like, oh, he's you know, we're learning about what really happened, you know. But instead of, I don't know, it's, it 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 happens a lot, like where you, there's yeah. there's two there's like the main characters doing all the things, and you're learning about their history throughout the book, and what really happened the history is the important part, but you're going through you know like them telling their history. They need to get through these like modern triggers to unlock. Yeah, the, it's just like the levels of the past. It it happens a lot. I don't know if it's these days, but it feels like definitely. But it's it's a very common thing, and it it does kind of get old. I think there's a lot I mean, more interest in the than in the past. Maybe I'm just making that up, but I think there is more interest in like trauma and. Well, yeah, this book is definitely about that. trauma. It's just like the way that it was written is like where you don't understand what's happening, not until the very end, because that's a lot of books are like you don't you don't get everything until the end because that's how it works. But where there's the story already happened and everything, all this other shit. You know, it's just like the two story, the two timelines, where the second timeline is the important stuff, and it affects the whole first timeline, but you don't know it yet. Is kind of it can be a little. Meh. No, I, I, I get all that. I get that. But I still thought it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was very. I did. I thought it was okay at best until the end, like the last probably ten percent, where it's like it really clicked. It was like, oh, okay, yeah. So it, it comes together, but it's like I didn't. I felt like having to wait this long for it to make sense was kind of like it's one thing if it comes together, like if different plot devices come together, but it doesn't really make sense until the end. Then it's maybe not as effective for me anyway. That's like a, it's a slow meandering burn. <laughs> yeah, but you know, to ask like a, a dumb Larry King type question would be: Do you? Th- 
you know, because you said something there, like it, it doesn't make sense. It does, you know, it does until the end. Does that have anything to do with the matter, the subject matter, right? He's just talking about the trauma caused by the molestation of children by priests. Yeah. And in a society that like repressed all of that shit, all the trauma, <laughs> you know, is there something there about the character kind of hiding that or, you know, refusing to see that? I'm sure that until that's the end. Not nothing. I mean, the book is about the way that trauma affects people long term. Not even those directly affected by the thing, but the way it affects other people. Secondhand trauma. Yeah. I, I, Which I, is a, it might be called a that. Band I don't know. <laughs> but it was like, like the, the, the church is always saying, like, oh, we can't fuck with the statute of limitations because, you know, all that shit was in the past, so we have to let it go, and, you know, it's not hurting anybody anymore. But those Jews, we haven't let that part yeah, go Yeah, yeah, they, they did that thing. They fucking killed Jesus. <laughs> we get the real problem here. That's an amazing, ama- for a 2,000-year-old organization to say, that's the past. Hey, guys, <laughs> let, let it go. Let that part go. <laughs> That's an incredible the set stuff of that fucking happened. balls. The stuff that happened 20 years ago. Let that stuff go. And it's yeah. still happening, but, you know. Uh, but we haven't, we have still not forgiven those goddamn heathens for killing our guy. <laughs> but definitely forget how we helped Nazis escape in 1940, escape to South America in 1945. Definitely forget about that. And how we fucked your kid. I'm telling you, tell, there's a huge percentage of the Irish. I think it was the the um, the Catholic Church in Ireland, I believe it was in Ireland, was one of the biggest human traffickers on the planet because they would take the children from poor families and just sell them to other people. Jesus Christ. They, they did this with thousands of children. They fucking trafficked thousands of children. Because they weren't hot. Those well, I mean, those were mostly, uh, maybe they'd already used those ones. Who knows? There's no saying they didn't fuck them because that's also what they did. And almost nothing has been done about it. So I guess that kind of trauma can cascade. Do you think it'll win? No. I think it's more possible, but no. I think it's more likely than Pearl, but I don't think it's going to win. And this is a, still a hot topic issue. Not not quite the... Not quite 10 years ago. News as it was, yeah. But it's still a thing, like... Yeah, they're still doing it. I don't. I don't think anyone's gonna look like. Yeah, we've had enough of that. Didn't they just bankrupt <laughs> another archdiocese somewhere in America from oh, womp, from womp. sex claim from sex uh, fucking what they called civil suits? Listen, the the Pope can get rid of one of his fucking gold plated toilets and they'll be fine. Yeah. No, this, is, this is the Pope who doesn't wear fancy clothes, <laughs> so he's the good Pope. Yeah, because the fancy clothes, it's very hard to open your zipper. He said. He <laughs> said you can use condoms, and gay people aren't all going to hell. Probably, maybe. Uh, and I don't wear the fancy hat, but all the kid fucking like, hey, let's <laughs> let's move on. Come on. I I also don't think I. I mean, it's hard to know without reading the other books. This book does score very high on the pretentious writing uh, metric and it's important stream of consciousness and important social issue metric. But stream of consciousness can be like a turnoff for people because I fucking like it, and that could uh, could work against the book. You know, the whole, like, what is memory? It could work against the book for regular people, but it could work for the book for this prize. One of the judges is a fucking comedian, so, like, I don't know what they're looking for. Well, none of the books are fucking funny. Right, so then you you almost get conspiratorial. I guess, are they purposely picking the most 
dense, unfun books they could find. If any of them are more depressing than this, I'm going to be very sad. Maybe that's their goal. I wonder, you know, I wonder if you if you did like some sort of analysis of awards for things like what's happening in like current events, you know, because you know the, the people who who vote in these kind of things and the bodies that pick this, you know, their politics. How, how do they react to the shit around them? Do they have like a gloomy outlook? <laughs> do they have a positive outlook? I wonder if you could say if you could draw anything from that. They're just all like bummed out about shit because you know. Someone could do a could do a paper on that, but not us. But no, no, God, no! Can't get drunk while you do that. After nine eleven, the the viewer the, the rating viewer ratings for the Food Network went like off the charts. That yeah. just just like <laughs> like you know ten times as many people were watching Food Network in the weeks after nine eleven. It's just huge ratings bump. Yeah, because you never watched the Food Network, and they're like, "Sir, another plane has hit the lasagna." Like you done this. <laughs> It's, it's a little lighter. There's also some sort of weird correlation between um, recessions and whether vampire movies or zombie movies are more popular. Like one of them popular during recessions, one of them popular when there's not a recession. I think zombies during recessions, but I could be wrong. Like it's kind of cyclical. Like uh, we're back to zombies and then we're going to vampires and we go to zombies again. It's always kind of like aligned with recessions and non-recessions. I think there's also a thing called coincidences. There's a great website that was like, create uh, like um, correlation is not causation, and it was just graphs of things that are weirdly correlated, like the number of movies Nicolas Cage was in and drowning deaths, <laughs> like weird shit that matches up almost perfectly. Like what the fuck is this? They found some really really good gems. Well, that's my homework for tonight. I'm not reading any more of this depressing book. Yeah, I, yeah, it made me sad, but I liked it. But I don't think it'll win. I think I think many people think sad book equals good book. You know? Equals uh, equals prize winning book. Well, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, we're using prize winning literary as a good book. analog for good. Yes, but if you go back and think about like the classics, not many of them are happy. A lot of bummers in there. But <laughs> what Les Misérables was about happy people, wasn't it? <laughs> Well, we'll keep reading. We'll keep plugging through the list. Until then. Tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And if you want to support the podcast, head over to patreon.com slash drunkguysbookclub. And give us the monies. Or don't. But do. And find us on Goodreads, where we are sometimes. And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening.